Hi everyone, Duncan Fletcher here. Today I'm joined by a leader in the development of culture, leadership, well-being, and performance in sport and business. He leads the culture and well-being initiatives of the Richmond Tigers of the Australian Football League, which incidentally has won three league titles since 2017. Shane McCurry, it's great to be talking to you again. Thanks, Duncan. It's great to, to jump on and have a chat. Absolutely. Now, Shane, I got to ask you, that's three championships since 2017. When did you start with the Richmond Tigers? Uh, well, I, I was quite lucky. You know, you talk about timing and, and luck, and and I feel really fortunate to work with a, a range of different organisations in the sporting space, and Richmond's one of the main ones. And we've got so many fantastic people there. I, I started back at the end of 2016, leading into the 2017 season, uh, but I had the the, the luck and fortune, I suppose, of knowing a lot of the personalities in Richmond um, and having worked with them or worked alongside them previously uh, when they were in different teams and uh, league environments prior to then. So, yeah, I, I started in 2017, but I'd known a lot of the people for, for a long time before that. So, uh, yeah, it feels great to have been on the adventure we have over that period of time and had a bit of success. But, you know, for me, it's not about the... The, the premierships that were won or the games that are won. It's a bit more about the the way that those journeys played out or those seasons played out um, and the ups and the downs. Like I got really big on that part of it is that, you know, every season probably replicates life in a way is that it's never smooth sailing. And sometimes the low points give great definition to the highs along the way. So, yes, it's great to, to win premierships or championships, as you would call them. But I think it's much more about the experience of being involved in a high-performance sport um, organisation and, and the, the, the friendships that are forged and the adversities that you have to navigate through when you're, when you're working at that level um, is the stuff that, you know, I, I probably get the greatest satisfaction out of, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that would be too. I guess uh, I was very, uh, I guess in a very shady way, I was trying to tie in some credit for you for winning those titles or helping contribute to the winning of those titles. Because again, as we've, as we've talked about before, and I urge anyone that hasn't had a chance to get to check out our previous conversation under the 2021 podcast series, uh, where we talked about sort of some of the things that you were doing in that environment to help promote winning. But yeah, I, I was throwing you a bone there, Shane, come on, take more credit for those, uh, those three titles, man. Well, I think yeah, you know, when you work in team sport, I know that you know we're not we're not just talking about team sport; it's also individual sports as well too that you um, cover in your remit. But I, I think yeah, the, the moment someone in a team setting takes individual credit for anything that that unfolds in that environment, I think that's kind of a, a red flag in a way. Whereas you know a lot of the environments we're working in that are very team oriented it's just that that piece around we've all got a role to play it doesn't matter whether you're the head coach whether you're the star player whether you're the last player picked each week whether you're the boot stutter as we'd call them um, the boot man or the property steward or whether you're the receptionist at the at the at the club like everyone has a role to play and um, I know that's a little bit of the the Bill Belichick kind of know your role, play your role, but um, I think it's very true in any sporting environment, team sport environment, is that if you can create a vision that's very compelling and the vision of Richmond is to be a strong and bold premiership club and the emphasis is that strong and bold component, uh, if you can create a compelling vision that people want to be a part of, then it doesn't matter what role you play, you come to work every day knowing that you can actually influence the success of the team. And I think that's really powerful when that takes place. And you know, if you get an environment whereby, you know, 
no one wants to take the credit. It's that the team is the one that gets the recognition, um, regardless of the individual contributions towards that. I think that that creates a really special environment where anything's possible, really. So, yeah, I, I love that part of it and feel very privileged to what I do with, you know, to do what I do with so many gifted people. Absolutely. Well, that was, uh, I tried to put you on the spot and you, and you dodged it well. So well done. The, uh, I guess the next question I had for you is obviously, as you know, as you've talked about, you work across a broad range of different sports and, and, you know, as you look at what's happened over the last few years with the pandemic. So from your perspective, I'm just curious, you know, generally speaking, what have you seen that's maybe changed in the professional sport environment as it relates to athlete well-being, athlete development that you think is, um, you know, sort of caught your eye in terms of what you've seen happen and maybe has even impacted how you're doing your work day to day with your various uh, clientele. Yeah, well, well, I think one thing is, and we're a bit biased, aren't we, Duncan, because of what we do, but I think well-being has always been important, but it's more important now than ever before in the past is to have an environment that is focused on people being at their very best individually, first and foremost, personally, in order to get the best out of them professionally. And I think that's not just the athletes, that's also the coaches that are involved in the environment, which can number into the many, many coaches that are involved, the S&C staff, you know, the, the welfare staff themselves, the admin staff, everyone that's involved in that sporting environment, um, not just the athletes. Uh, it's more important than ever before in the past. And I was over in the States just last month um, for some professional development. I had a conference over there and visited with a number of the different sporting organisations over there in the US and you know, just just hearing them identify mental health as being kind of the next big thing in professional sport in America, I thought, you know, was quite interesting because I haven't heard it communicated as definitively as that before in the past, but it certainly was this time around, you know, identifying that with that last couple of years we've had where, you know, we've been isolated, um, we've been in lockdowns, we've been in bubbles uh, around the world. Like that environment's incredibly challenging, incredibly isolating as well too for people when they're in that environment. And then there's all of these ripple effects that come when you get back out into the world again at large and you've got to try to adjust back into society again and living a normal way. Like that, that is a major life transition for people that are involved in that type of setting. So I think it's natural to see uh, some human impact that comes from that. If I think about just our own situation here in Australia, Melbourne was one of the locked one of the most locked down cities anywhere in the world. And I think there was six lockdowns, which totaled about 277 days. Um, and during that time, so it's almost a year that people have been stuck at home. So this is not just a trend in sport. This is a trend in society whereby people have been starved Absolutely. of connection as we're used to, to having it day to day. And so that's naturally going to have some kind of human human toll. And I think you know, a number of, the, number of the companies and corporate organisations I work with as well too, you're seeing them start to focus much more on wellbeing now and you say, well, gee, I wish you had have done that a long time ago before the pandemic because maybe that would have prepared you better for what we've had to live through over the last couple of years. Maybe that's wishful thinking, I don't know. But um, the important thing is that they're focused on it now more than they've ever been focused on it. And I think that that's a, that's a tremendous thing. Out of curiosity, from the teams that you've sort of interacted with in what you've seen, maybe even in the business perspective, but I'm curious, for those organizations that have been more open to the mental health conversation, the mental well-being, it's just general well-being, do you feel that you've seen them perform better as they, you know, as the world has opened up and they've kind of 
got back into, I guess, a more normal more normal rhythm. I'm just curious, is that something you've seen or, or what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think it definitely is. And and the environments, I think it, it's not going straight to the mental health piece straight away. It's, it's actually looking at the culture. And, you know, we're really passionate about that part of it is how do you create a culture and an environment that people really want to be a part of? So they come to work each day, whether you've won, you've lost, or you've drawn on the weekend, just gone, and the game just gone, you come into that club environment on that Monday, super committed and positive and optimistic about what's to come. And you'll do whatever it'll take to kind of get back on the winner's list, if you like. But you know, I think that that shifting culture whereby if you lose a game, you're disappointed. Of course you are. You know, No one wants to lose when they play sport. But you don't go and lock yourself in a cold, dark room in the fetal position for the next four days after a loss. Like that's not the way to get back winning again. The best method for getting back winning again is to actually come back into that team environment, to reflect, to to identify some areas that you can work on individually and then to connect with your teammates and your peers and your colleagues around, well, okay, what's the plan for this next week to get us back on the winner's list? And that's what I love about team sport um, in particular. But any sport, even individual sports, You've seen a lot of individual sports people. Ash Barty's probably a great example. Had a lot of success on the world stage as a tennis player, and she plays an individual sport. But at every opportunity she has, she talks about the team and the team that she's got around her. So she's creating that same feeling as what you'd have in a team sport environment, where you're actually problem solving, you're troubleshooting, you're you're working on trying to be the best possible version of yourself uh, in the sporting arena but then also away from the sporting arena. And so I think just that response to losing and your relationship with wins and losses is a really important part of kind of that overall culture piece. So you're trying to create an environment where people are coming in open-minded, focused on self-improvement, the improvement of the team, and they're willing to be open and vulnerable with one another as well too. So if someone's struggling, and let's be honest, we all struggle at different stages. A couple of the teams teams that I work with were actually in – kind of bubbles during during COVID, during lockdown. And we'd have like weekly or fortnightly struggle sessions where we just get the group together in small groups and and just encourage the the players and coaches and staff to just share something that they were struggling with right then and what they were doing to try to overcome that struggle. And I think that that's a really positive, proactive exercise because you're not forcing anyone to share anything they don't want to share, but you're actually sort of destigmatizing and normalizing that, you know, the struggle is kind of part of the human condition in a way. So when you face it, you want to feel confident that you can deal with it, work through it out the other side. And so I think that's where if you create that culture where people are willing to be open and vulnerable with one another, is if someone's struggling, and this happens in a lot of the teams that I'm involved with, then it's not unusual for that player to get up in front of the group and just let people know, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit right at the moment. You know, I might have broken up with my partner or I might, my mother or father might be sick or you know, I might have had a close friend pass away or, you know, whatever it might be, just sharing that with the group so that they then know if that person's a little bit off, I'm not going to um, treat them more lightly necessarily. I still want them to get the best out of themselves. But if I'm aware of it, then I might just treat them a little bit more kindly as a human being, human to human. Um, rather than, uh, you know, some teams that you see that have this really kind of hard edge to, you know, whatever you're dealing with away from the club, you've got to park that at the door when you come in. I just think that that, that, that is so far from high performance, it's not funny. You know, if you're expecting people to compartmentalise, to come in every day and forget what they're dealing with in life and just focus on their job, I just don't think that's reasonable. 
And, and I think that's the shift that we're seeing off the back of the, the pandemic in particular is that the teams, there's a lot of teams that have been doing it for a long time, but um, there's a lot more doing it now. And I think that that's good for the development of the individual right across, um, right across society, to be honest, not just in the, the sporting setting. Yeah, I find that really fascinating what you're saying, this idea really that allowing your, whether it's your, like you said, it could be allowing the marketing department or allowing your athletes to be vulnerable and to sort of express where they're at is going to optimize them for performance. I think that's really a counterintuitive thing, particularly in sport that we're now start, starting to see shift. And I'm just curious, who do you think is leading that change? I mean, obviously it's a folks like yourself, but are you seeing coaches and you know general managers and you know, team owners and presidents, are they becoming more open to that, understanding that this is really about driving positive performance outcomes? I think they are, absolutely. I think that there's a younger generation of athlete coming through that are wanting, you know, different things perhaps to what athletes have wanted before in the past. But I don't want to make it just an age thing because what I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Duncan, is, you know, sometimes it's the older coaches and administrators who are better at empathizing in and around the importance of that. So I don't think it's just purely an age thing, um, but I do think that the the younger generation of a- athlete coming through is is making a, a real difference in and around that. Um, so it's trying to create an environment, a high-performance environment, where the human being at the center of that can, can flourish as a person first and foremost. Um, and I think that, you know, it kind of takes all levels of the organisation. You know, it's from your CEO or your ownership through to your senior management team, through to your your, your coach and your, your coaching staff, um, right through the, the kind of um, the performance department into the actual playing group itself. Uh, a lot of the environments I work in, and we've talked about it before in the past, is we, we do a lot of player empowerment here in Australia and most sports in Australia now would have kind of some form of player leadership group. And so that's particularly the area I work in is how do you create a really high-functioning player leadership group environment where you empower a group of players to drive their destiny, you know, and and that might be, you know, in, in the AFL, for example, we have 44 players on a list and we might have between five to eight in the leadership group. And they're kind of like a little executive committee of the players in a way but the idea is that they're more readily able to identify the issues that are most important to their teammates than what the coaches or staff are because they're living and breathing it. They've got that lived experience and that's so important. So I think any any coach that doesn't tap into some form of empowering the athletes to drive themselves is missing out on untapped potential, I suppose. But what you see is that sometimes, you know, a coach will have a a leadership group in one environment or one team and they don't have a lot of success for whatever reason and it's once bitten twice shy is that they have a bad experience with it there and so they never try it again. (laughs) Uh, But I think that it should just make you even more determined to find another way because if you're not tapping into the playing group or the athlete group in some shape and form around the way you get feedback on different parts of the program, then I feel like you're missing out. And I think, you know, that that's where it can come from is that if you ask the athlete that question, what's important for you in order to perform, I think that piece around well-being and the human first will always come back as one of the the, the number one responses. So um, I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and it's also creating a culture of like curiosity and that, appetite for wanting to do things a different way or a better way or another way 
And, you know, I think if you can, co- if you can foster that type of environment um, within your team uh, in the different departments across your team uh, or organisation, then you're going to actually have people are hungry to do things a different way. Like if I think about, you know, the Melbourne Storm in the NRL here in Melbourne, you know, Craig Bellamy, one of the most successful coaches anywhere in the world, uh, one of the uh, most experienced coaches anywhere in the world now. Um, you know, Craig's, he, he's the epitome of, of growth mindset. <laughs> he's constantly has this insatiable appetite for wanting to find different ways of motivating his athletes. And he, he knows after his long successful career what, what works and what doesn't work, but he still remains open-minded to other ways of thinking. Um, Frank Panissi there, their general manager of football, uh, at the storm, he's similar. He has that real kind of growth mindset. So they might not have the answers themselves, but they'll put people around them, or they'll go into other organisations to try and find some of those answers. And I think that that's a great lesson for what great organisations do is that they're constantly looking for, you know, e- evolution. And, and that doesn't mean you do away with the fundamentals of the things that have always worked really well, um, but it does mean that you're adding these layers on that make you stronger and stronger over time. And I think a really successful, uh, flourishing player leadership program is a big part of that in any modern day sporting environment. I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, there's a lot to unpack on that one. But as you talk about the Melbourne Storm, I'm reminded by a conversation I had with, uh, I think, one of the gentlemen that worked there. Uh, he was a former All Black. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. This is terrible because he'd be Andy really- Blowers, probably. Andy Blowers. There you go. And I remember him talking about how. You know, hey, we win the championship in 2018 or 2019. That was 2019. Everyone's going to try and catch up to us and try and replicate what we did in 2019. We're now looking for whatever is new. And I and I love that mindset. Like, yeah, we're kind of not throwing out, but we're looking for what what's that new thing that's going to give us an edge that allows us to stay ahead, uh, you know, of the dogs that are, are, are nipping at our heels because, you know, everyone's gunning for them. So, again, fascinating uh, mindset in sport, which, you know, arguably is a little uncommon, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Storm you probably have had in the past, you know, most NRL teams, for example, would have at least two full-time well-being staff and some of them three or more. Uh, and that's not psychologists either. That's, you know, your psychology services on top of that. So I think that that, that kind of just by the sheer number of staff, like headcount, it shows how important that is to different sporting environments. And most sports in Australia are the same. You know, the AIS uh, and the, the fantastic work they've done um, via Maddie Clements at a leadership level in trying to embed well-being uh, in all sports across Australia, from the NSOs uh, all the way down, is 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 really cutting-edge stuff. Um, but I think it's it's also defining what well-being is. We talked a little bit about this last time, and so I don't want to go into any great detail. But I think sometimes when we hear the word well-being or mental health, we go straight to well, what's wrong with someone? And right. how do we fix them? <laughs> but we're not Absolutely. actually talking about that, Duncan, are we? You know, it's, it's it's much, much bigger than that. It's actually more the environment that you create. Like, have you created a high-performance environment that accentuates all of the things that's bad about sport? Or have you created a high-performance environment that accentuates all of the things that is good about sport? You know, that spirit of competition, but also the, the notion of camaraderie, um, the ability to kind of better yourself, um, the opportunity to to uh, to connect with with people on a really meaningful personal level day to day, 
um, the opportunity to have fun, you know, when Steve Kerr of the Warriors talks about joy and how powerful joy can be in a high-performance setting. You know, some of these slightly more non-traditional themes that are all a big part of, of well-being. So when we talk about well-being, mental health, we're not just talking about, you know, a, a, a player or athlete having some issues and needing to get some one-to-one support. We're actually talking about what the GM does. We're talking about what the head coach does. We're talking about what the the head fitness trainer does. Um, we're talking about the level of um, kind of ownership that the players take over their, their destiny and the journey that they're on. We're talking about the, the amount of connection that's fostered in the team environment. We're talking about the, the balance that the coaches put between X's and O's, you know, the tactics of the game versus allowing their athletes to just be themselves in the environment, for example. So, and the, the, the way the training program looks off the back of that. So, yeah, that, I think that that's a really important distinction to make is that we're not going just you know, mental illness or, or psychology, uh, for example, is a component of the broader organisational approach to well-being at large and um, being able to have that conversation within your own organisation around, well, what does well-being mean to you? Because for each team, for each organisation, for each person, it will be very different. And that's a really key part of that cultural journey is defining what it is for you and how you can best bring it to life. A hundred percent. And like you said, I mean, if you find yourself in a situation where you're asking yourself, you know, you've, you've got an issue with an athlete, I mean, you're being reactive. You're, you're, you're reacting to what's already happened. You haven't gone through the process of creating a proactive environment like you just illustrated. And I think that's the big difference is if you find yourself reacting to these issues, you've already missed the boat. And uh, I could not agree more with that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's difficult not to be reactive at times in sport because, you know, I often say one of the first things we talk about, uh, in, you know, you know, when we, we start working with a team is that piece that it's not a matter of if something happens in sport, it's usually <laughs> yeah. when and what. Uh, and we know yeah, when you're dealing exactly. with young people, like lots of young people in a sporting environment, like it is inevitable that things will happen, you know, whether it's kind of an off-field issue or something that's quite controversial or something that makes the papers or that, that's just part of kind of life, I suppose. Uh, now, you would hope that over time you might get less and less of those things, but even in the very best teams that you work with and the, the championship teams that consistently win, like they always have issues along the way. And that's probably getting back to what I was saying at the start of the interview is your ability to navigate those those ups and downs is really important and a key part of the well-being piece. So when that stuff happens, how many conversations have you had up until that point around your organisational capability to deal with that? So if a player's involved in a, some kind of issue, um, have you spoken before about what your plan would be if that issue actually happened? Um, so I'm a big advocate for, for role play and case studies. So just put, put together a, like a box on the table or a hat and then get people to brainstorm up all of the different um, combination of possibilities of off-field things that could potentially happen and think a bit left field here you know, and, and come up with some that are uh, a very unusual perhaps or you know, ambiguous or complex. Write down that scenario, um, things that have happened to you, things that you've read about other teams having happened to them or things that could potentially happen. Write them on pieces of paper, put them in a box and stick them in the middle of your your key meeting room in your in your your organisation or your facility, and then every now and then, like every couple of weeks, just pull one out. Get the key decision makers around the table, whether that's the player leadership group or it could be just your your staff executive group or your ownership group. Just pull one of those scenarios out. Get one person to read it out, and then say, if this happened to us, 
how would we deal with it? And and for the next 20 minutes, workshop it. You know, if, if that scenario was to happen to you, how would you deal with it? You know, how would you deal with it as a coach? How would the S&C staff deal with it? How would the, the GM or CEO approach it? Uh, what level of engagement would there be with the players around it? Um, does the psychologist need to be involved? You know, what do you communicate to the media and external stakeholders? Uh, you know, that's just a very practical activity that I've found a lot of organisations have benefited from. Um, it's really good, strong practice in the corporate setting, but for me, it's it's one of those things that can also be really powerful and important in a sports setting as well too. Is not waiting for something to happen to you so that you've got to react is preempting what could happen to you and Absolutely. at least Love have practiced what all of that range of possibilities might be. And it's some phenomenal lateral, lateral thinking exercises in terms of trying to create those horrible scenarios or maybe not so horrible, just awkward scenarios that arise. So yeah, sounds like an interesting problem or almost like a game. You got to come up with a name for that chain, like whatever the, uh, if you got one for it already. <laughs> I I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe people that are listening might be able to come up with a few ideas. Say, there you know, we I, go. I, we, well, I, mean, I think that um, you know scenarios in a hat um, could work quite well. Perhaps I'm not sure, but you know, you I, I think you, you make a good point. It's not just having disasters or negative scenarios. Actually, have some positive ones in there as well too. Because if we're talking about Absolutely. culture here, we're not just talking about issues management. We're talking about culture building here and team building here. And so Absolutely. have some scenarios in there that relate to, yeah, it might be that you've got a player that plays his 300th game in a month's time. How are you going to celebrate that? Absolutely. You know, just test yourself because every club has different rituals and miles, miles, uh, rituals and routines associated with um, and celebrations associated with milestone games. But sometimes if you've got a new staff involved, they might not be familiar with what that team actually does in and around celebrating milestone games. So that, that could be an example of one. Um, or it could be a player that's having a, you know, a birthday, a celebratory birthday, or it could be someone that's just finished their university degree, you know, having toiled away while they're a player uh, and they've, um, they've been able to, to bring their studies to a conclusion. You know, that, that's a fantastic achievement in the context of an organisation's culture. So how will you celebrate that? You know, have that as a scenario in the hat as well too. So you're giving people a chance to practice the good, but the, the bad or the testing, the challenging, but then also some of the good and the positive as well too, which as we know is, is as important, if not more so than, you know, what you do when, when things don't go well. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Good stuff. I guess the, uh, the last thing I'd leave you with is, you know, maybe kind of taking a bit of a, uh, I guess, a harsher lens on it. Is there anything that you think that is currently really being missed by sports teams and well-being practitioners that could be done better? Is there anything that sort of jumps out to you where, you know, if you could put your finger on it, this is one of those things that I'd really like to see change sort of across the board. Anything jump to mind? Two things. One is that sport is a vehicle for social change. And we hear that a lot. And if we accept that that's the case, is that sport is one of the most powerful vehicles we have available to us in order to change people's opinions and attitudes and perspectives on life and, and complex issues, then we have to try to focus less on winning and more on the contribution that sport makes to society. And I, and I think that that's very, it's easier said than done. <laughs> Because we work in a high-performance setting and it's, it's high stakes and it's winning and losing, but 
if we have the people that work in that environment to see that their contribution is far and away beyond just the amount of wins and losses or championships that they win. That stuff's great, but it's a byproduct and an outcome of everything else that they do day to day. I saw a coach, um, there's a coach a few weeks ago that, that, that stepped down from his role, um, been a very successful coach and had never won the ultimate prize but was just a, a fantastic industry person and very well respected and has influenced the lives of so many people over the course of their coaching career. And they were almost apologetic for never having won a championship with that team. It was like stepping down and saying, I failed you in a way. I just think that that's such a shame because you think about the positive impact that they had on so many people, young boys and girls, young men and women, over the entirety of their coaching career. And those athletes won't look back and say, gee, I wish we had won one. <laughs> They'll look back and say, gee, what a, what a great environment that coach created that enabled us to, enabled us to get close. You know, yes, we didn't quite go all the way, but we got close and we got the very best out of ourselves along the way. So I think you know, just seeing that as an administrator or a coach in that environment you're, or, or an athlete, is that you have to define yourself by more than just winning and losing. Your identity is much more than just being about winning and losing. Uh, and if, if you put the focus on um, bringing yourself to work every day to try to be the very best person that you can be first and foremost, then you might just find that your performance improves as you, as you go along um, day to day as well too. So I think that that's the first thing I'd say. And then the second one, which is quite linked to that, is that we have to actually focus on the well-being of the non-athletes in the environments as well too because you see you see it so much is that the coaches and the staff they put so much work and effort and time into the you know allowing the athletes to be at their very best at the expense of themselves and that's a real shame as well too because what i see working with with athletes is that they want their coaches and staff to live and breathe the same messages <laughs> that their coaches and staff are giving to them that they want them to live and breathe as an athlete. So I think it kind of just starts with that self-reflection around, are you kind of practicing what you preach <laughs> as a coach Absolutely. or a staff member? And if well-being is important to your athletes, make it important for you as well too. Uh, one of my dear friends, just as a little bit of content that might be a good recommendation for people to watch as a follow-up, Duncan, one of my good friends and colleagues up in Sydney is a guy called Dominic Price. And Dom works for Atlassian, an incredible tech company. You're doing some fantastic work all around the world in the culture space. Uh, and Dom did a TED Talk about three years ago now, I think. Uh, it's online. And it's in that TED Talk, Dom talks about what he calls the uh, personal moral inventory or the PMI. Uh, and the talk goes for about 10, 12 minutes. It's a fantastic talk where Dom opens up he shares a, a high degree of vulnerability in that talk, talking about his personal life and some of what he had to endure um, through the pandemic. Um, he, he's also a very big believer that vulnerability is strength, not weakness. Um, and then he pre presents a little framework that provides people the opportunity just to sort of self-reflect and assess where they're at in the context of their contribution to to life, to work, to family, so on and so forth. So a great little tool that I recommend often to, to the coaches and staff that I work with uh, and the athletes as well too that people might want to check out as a follow-up. Yeah, so those That's two things. Well. 
Yeah, rip. See yourself. See your uh, see your identity as much more than just wins and losses. Um, and then, in, in secondly, is uh, trying to create an environment where the coaches and staff are, uh, are also focusing on their well well being the same way they'd expect their athletes to. Well, we'll definitely make sure that that uh, that link to Dom's uh, piece is included in this uh, podcast for sure. So that's a, a great uh, a great heads up. Thanks for sharing that. And I guess the last thing, uh, Shane, real quick, I know that um, you begun working on a documentary. Um, it's really interesting. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Why don't you describe what you're doing? And I guess the question I want to ask: What's the story you're trying to really tell with this with this sort of documentary approach that you're taking? Yeah, we've been working on a, a few little videos. I suppose if we accept that uh, storytelling can take different shapes and forms and that visual medium is such a powerful way to share stories with the world now in 2022. And so we, we want to be able to kind of use that medium to help tell stories that need to be told. <laughs> and that sounds you know a little bit kind of generic, I suppose, but I'm a really big believer that everyone has a story and everyone's story is special. And we need to we need to we need to encourage people to share their story with the world. That's that's quite a powerful thing to do because in sharing your story and connecting with who you are, where you've come from, where you're at, and where you're going, you connect with other people. You motivate and inspire other people. You encourage other people to uh, better, you know, kind of celebrate their daily wins and losses that they have along the way, and so. We've, we've selected a group of um, some people that are high-profile people uh, in sport, business, arts, uh, music, so on. But we've also selected a group of people who are a bit less well-known. <laughs> and we're finding ways to take them into different environments to help share their story with the world. And uh, it's been a really exciting project to work on. It was a project that was born out of sort of the lockdown of you know COVID in the last couple of years. And, and we're really excited to, to do some... Um, polishing work on that over the coming weeks and months um, with an aim to to launch something a bit later in the year. Perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to hopefully sharing that with our friends here at PADS. I'm sure they'll love to get eyes on it. Shane, again, uh, with an immense amount of gratitude, thanks again for making time out of your schedule and getting up a bit earlier here in Australia to do this conversation with us. So again, on behalf of PADS and our global partners, thanks a ton for hopping on the line with us today. No worries at all, Duncan. Yeah, I hope everyone's going really well and um, feel free to reach out if you've got any questions or, or feedback. Yeah, good luck, everyone. Perfect. Thanks again, Shane.